Hey everybody, Captain Andy Comics is right about to start, but there's a lot of great podcasts on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, including this one. I'm Keith Conrad. And I'm Misty Callahan. On Geek Counter Geek, we'll tackle the tough questions that keep you up at night. Like, who is the better captain? Kirk? Picard or Crunch. Plus, you'll get to chart our progress as I try to write the great American novel. And I try to create a comic book. It's Geek Counter Geek on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steve. Thank you. It's Cabinet of Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. We are all Skype all the time. I'm home. You're home. Our guests are home. Everybody's home. And your hair is probably dirty. Well, Picard ended this week, and I have been talking about this show for the last 10 weeks, which is exactly how many episodes it's been. And I can't stop talking about it. The finale opened up a lot of questions, it changed a lot of things, it answered a lot of things, and it put Star Trek in a different direction. So, uh, Elliot Serrano, who's a good friend of ours, has been on the show many times, and I had been talking about it on social networking, so I figured, well, let's talk to him and talk about the whole series. Um, and of course, us being us and the show being this show, we also get into Rise of Skywalker, which is now on digital early. I've seen it a uh, second time and I had different thoughts about it. And we get into Doctor Sleep, which I have been wanting to see for a long time, and Elliot has. So, as usual, there's going to be a lot of talk about a lot of different things before we get into Picard. But let's not spend a lot of time talking about this, and let's just get into it. How are you holding up over there? Uh, I'm going to be honest. It's it, it's it, it's get it's getting to me, um, you know, because I'm all alone, you know, except for me and the cat. Right. And I actually had to go. I've had to go to the office twice this week for different reasons. And yesterday I just had to go in to pick up a piece of paper. That was it. Like to find a password I needed. And I, I, I sat at my desk for most of the afternoon cause I didn't want to come back. <laughs> I was, the, I was the opposite. Um, I, Bill and I were on the Joko cruise like three weeks ago when everything was collapsing. Yeah. And so when I got out, they, they had everybody work from home while I was out. So I went to, um, 311 South Wacker, you know, which is like a huge building next to the Sears Tower, and it was empty. And I ran in there, grabbed my laptop, and ran out because I didn't want to touch anything. Right, right, right. Now, are there, now are there any? Are the animals still at uh, your office? There's some, um, not as many. They got like, they got like a huge part of the the population out in the foster homes. So, I mean, we have probably some the, the lowest population in the shelter we've had in a while, which I'm going to be honest, is kind of a blessing in disguise because the shelter has been running hot for so long. We're talking near max population, like yeah. day in, day out, day in, day out. And it's not like in the past when in the winter you would see fewer animals coming in. Now we now we got animals coming in all the time because if it's not from the city, it's from transports and stuff. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? This is good. It gives people a chance to like relax. You get, everyone's getting paid the same paychecks, which is nice, but there's hours are getting cut back a bit. 
Um, they just had to deal with cleaning and stuff and volunteers are coming in. It's just kind of a little respite. So, yeah. And are you, you working from home or are you, uh, I'm working, I'm working from home. Yeah. I've got, okay. I've got stuff I need to do. Actually, my, the new thing is, um, cause I coordinate, um, pet food deliveries for seniors. Okay. Getting all these folks processed the, this past week. And they just announced, they're announcing, well, they announced it. We made it official for us on Friday, but I think it's going to be hitting NBC News on Monday that we're going to, we got a, a grant to send uh, free pet food to people. Oh, nice. Um, and, yeah. So that's going to be my job is collecting all those addresses and sending all those orders out. So we'll see how that goes. I did the first one on Saturday. So that's cool. Everybody I talked to is either like incredibly busy and trying to figure out how to do it from home. Like I've been billing 55 hour weeks since this started. Wow. And I don't know. There's just a lot of projects uh, we've had. You know, I'm in pharmaceutical advertising. So we've had like three or four projects that are like, okay, we need to put out a message about COVID-19. So write a message about COVID-19. But there were so many projects anyway that I'm that I've even asked people, I'm like, would we have been this busy with or without COVID-19? And the answer was? No one knows. No. Are, yeah, you using a, are you on a pogo stick over there? No, I'm walking. Sorry, I'm moving. Hold on. <laughs> are you an addict? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. You may fire when ready. Hold <laughs> on. Tell tell Lord Vader the shield generator's down. Hold on. I, I just I I was on this portable battery thing for my phone. My I'm, I'm my phone is getting to the point where now I need to put install a new battery in it. It's not one of those I can just switch out the battery myself. Yeah. Was it an iPhone? No, it's a Droid a Moto uh, Droid. Uh. X. I love this phone. It's a great phone. Um, I, were, I, I worked on those. I did all of the Droid launch for Verizon yes. 10 yeah, years ago. So, yeah, you told me about this. All uh, the robot of, eyes and the arm of, and Lance yeah. Henriksen. And, and yeah. That, that was some fun stuff. Yeah, I've got a special place um, in my heart for those phones. But um, yeah, but it needs. I've already re replaced the battery once, and it's time for it again because it runs on real quick. So I have to, I have to sit it on the charger if I'm going to be using an app because it runs down quickly. Oh, is that how you're doing it now? You're on your phone. Yeah, yeah. I tried getting my um. I, well, my problem too is I have no home Wi-Fi, so um, I have to run um like. I have to run the phone as a hotspot, but oh. it, it, it's, it slows down when I run it through the phone. So might as well just run yeah, it off. To, this, this Christmas, we got Ben his first phone. So we went up to three phones and which was uh, free with unlimited data. But then we found out we lose all our hotspots. That was. Ah. So, um, yeah, and they say it's unlimited. But once you get to a certain point, they throttle you down. It's like you don't you no longer have like the, the uh, 4G or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. So you've been inside, uh, like the rest of us, for the last few weeks. You've been alone, which I yes. can't say. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know you're like the ex my extreme opposite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this is, this is the only way we're extreme opposites because other than that, we're completely the same. We're pretty much, yeah. We're <laughs> I'm, I'm like I'm the Puerto Rican version of you, or you're the <laughs> white version of me. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I spend 40% of my day walking into another room going, can you please stop yelling? I'm talking to seven people on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing – yeah. One of the things that's the same about us is that we both finished Picard this week. 
Yes. And you and I have been both like vociferously defending it on Facebook to people who don't like it. So, so I was like, you know, when the last one happens, let's talk about the whole series. I'm like, uh, I, I will say it's, I've seen, I've seen, well, I've, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I am not going to get on everybody on the folks who didn't don't like Picard or who have been vocal about it, because I'll admit I've, I'm vocal too about things like, you know me, you bring up the last Jedi with me and that just brings out, you know, dark Elliot. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, although, you, you know, know something not to fear this, of course, immediately, but they bumped up the digital release of Rise of Skywalker because of COVID-19. Right. So we bought it right away. Sebastian had never seen it. We didn't finish it. We oh, got really? like an hour in and they were running around the room and playing Legos and no one was paying any attention. And I'm like, you know what? I, th- I think I'm not that into this one. I think I kind of like Last Jedi more because, well, we've talked about this. I like the crazy versions of franchises. Like I like Je- Last Jedi to me is like Batman Returns or Iron Man 3. I'm like, oh, you're doing this? Uh, which, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like Rise of Skywalker was kind of trying to be trying to have its cake and eat it too. be like, we're going to ignore all this stuff about Last Jedi and we're going to pay off this stuff for Last Jedi. And it, it's really expositional. Like, like when they kill well, the spoilers for Rise Skywalker, but screw you, it's out. Um, wh- when it looked like Chewie died, I was like, oh, wow, we're really going to do big things. And then within two minutes, they're like, nah, we didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of it, – it was guilty of a lot of the same stuff that Last Jedi was, which was just constantly going one way and then doubling back. Whereas um, it, with, Ryan Johnson was going, I'm going to tease. We're going to go in this direction, but uh-uh, we're going to do – we're not going to do that. And then but – the, um, but he was always going to the unexpected where J.J. Abrams was kind of going towards the expected when you really think about it. Yeah, so. you know, I put on um... – because of Picard, I've been like fully blown Star Trek the last couple of months. So I've been watching everything. Uh, and I put on Star Trek Into Darkness last night. And I got about a half an hour into it. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's my problem with Rise of Skywalker. When you give J.J. the sequel, he's already out of ideas. Yeah. You know, the, the problem I had with Into Darkness was it was just, just it was too much like like the first Trek you know, and and, you know, it's Enterprise going through a thing, bad guy, big super weapon, got to deal with it, blah, blah, blah. And and he, yes, he brought that same thing into the Star Wars franchise. He did that with Starkiller based in Force Awakens. Right. Um, he couldn't let, let leave the Death Star out every, you know, at that point, by the end of Rise of Skywalker, it's like every Star Destroyer. In the Black Fleet has a prime weapon, you know. Every yeah. Star Destroyer has a – which you go, wait a minute. Hold on a second. How can – if you needed an entire – like a moon-sized battle station to house something with enough energy to destroy a planet, how can a little ship – it's like it's like having a like having a, a battleship, you know, like a you know just a like a regular battleship in the navy being able to launch a a, a a nuclear missile that can destroy the earth, and you just it doesn't make sense when you think but about it. it. Makes no sense. It's thirty years of technology. We needed is a small it really moon. Though? Is it we really small moon? Now we can do a star destroyer. 
And who's doing all that R&D? I'm asking you, who's doing all the R&D to develop those weapons over, uh, over time? White, supremac- white supremacists with British accents. <laughs> guys, who have so, been a, guys who have been a villain on the Moffat Doctor Who. That's who's doing <laughs> Pretty much, but then okay. So, but, but let me let me pivot back to uh, Picard because again, yeah, I have I had a lot of issues with um, my biggest issue with the Last Jedi is what happened with Luke. Okay, you know I've I've been very up straightforward about it, and in fact, I'm cool with. I've come to terms with everything that happened with Luke all the way up until the very end, where you know he dies of exhaustion. Yeah. Which is stupid. Okay. Well, yeah, I know, but still, it's a, yeah, and 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 even even Mark Hamill himself was like trying to convince Ryan Johnson to hold off on killing Luke until at least the third one. But you know, I was listening to Ryan's um 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 director commentary on the last the last Jedi DVD and or Blu-ray and he was like oh yeah well I knew I was going to kill Luke right he went in knowing he was going to kill Luke he goes but I need I needed to make it on a high note and I go how the how do you kill Luke in in the last Jedi after we already saw Han Solo die in the Force Awakens well that right. well, that became the trope it was every yeah. movie brings back one of the three human characters and then kills them and then kills him. That's what it turned into. Rise of Skywalker had, you know, Rise of Skywalker, they cobbled together what they could of Leia, which on one hand I thought worked. In the other hand, it turned Leia into a magic eight ball. Because they yeah. just kept questions and then they shook up Leia because <laughs> she had one of seven things she could say to that. I It was it was very uncanny valley to me, though. I mean, because flashbacks were like when she's training with Luke, that was uncanny valley. The shot out, where it's like where know, she was green screened from Force Awakens. Right. Or like well, the, it was like that last season of Arrested Development when Portia de Rossi told Mitchell Hurwitz she was retired from acting and he didn't care. So she just stood in front of a green screen and went, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. Man, that that wow, you went back. How that, do a, not that far. That was like the second Netflix. <laughs> I would say our Arrested Development uh, 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 references still in play right now outside of, you know, go buy yourself a Star War and, and there's yeah. always money in a banana stand. You know, no, they're, they're nostalgia. No touching is big now. <laughs> no touching is like. No touching. Yeah. Yeah. OK. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so then, so you go to Picard and what, what are people kind of angry about? With, and not just, you know, folks on social media, but I've read some articles about this, that they're just, they just like the, the, the idealism and the shiny, new, hopey, changey of, of Star Trek and Starfleet is gone and it's turned grim, dark, grimy, bad. And, um, and people are just angry about that. Again, they've crapped on Star Trek, you know, and. It's odd that um, I didn't have that problem. To me, it actually works with what they were doing with Picard. It, that first, okay, well, if you if you want to go through the parts that really worked for me, and there were a couple parts that didn't, but that very first um, episode where he does the interview with the reporter about the Romulan rescue mission gone wrong, uh, gone bad, and all the thing, you know, pretty much encapsulize, encapsulate, is it encapsulize or encapsulate? Uh, encapsulate. Encapsulate. Thank you. Um, really 
what the theme of this particular um, uh, Star Trek series is about, you know, because you look at Discovery um, and Discovery was about Starfleet during the uh, the war against the Klingons and the, the how Starfleet's values are being challenged during that time. And Michael Burnham is, you know, that one who's holding on and saying, no, this is what Starfleet stands for. We can't let it, you know, we can't let ourselves, you know, compromise these values and what we believe just because we're at war, right? It's like a, um, like a, the a post 9-11 world, you know, in Star Trek. And, and Picard does the same thing, but we flash way past the 9-11, but into the current you know, type of paranoia about things and the others and how and I'm telling you the whole time uh, where um, they were de- uh, Picard was dealing with um, Romulans, Romulans, Romulans. I was seeing uh, Syrians, you know, oh, in, my, in my head, you know, I was seeing, you know, the, the quote unquote, the other that so many people want to demonize because, um, because yeah, they were our enemies and we, you know, we have to remember that and so on. So I wasn't, I wasn't having so much of an issue with, with kind of the take because even to me, Starfleet and the future then you know, they say, well, it's so dark and grimy. I'm like, but we never saw Earth so much during Picard. I mean, when we did see Earth, it was actually quite shiny and new. And man, everyone's teleporting everywhere. Right. Um, you know reminded- what, one of the one of the major times we see Earth is a two putter of Deep Space Nine where they're freaking out about the Dominion. It was like that season where they thought everyone was a changeling. Yeah, yeah. And just go like back to Earth. And it's kind of the same paranoia. Which is what people will always have. And you know, I I just enjoyed it. I, I'm kind of like see to me, I'm I'm a believer that times change, but people don't. And the human race, until we literally evolve, you know, I'm talking about um, there's that 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 lizard part of our brain that always keeps that paranoia and screw you. I need to survive. And it's mine and mine and mine until we literally, you know, that part of our brain disappears through evolution. We're always going to be this way. And and so seeing that in Star Trek, which when you think about it. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Picard takes place 40 or 50 years after the end of Next Gen. The way I did the math is it's an extra 10 years from real time. Because okay. in what gave me the clue is in the first episode when he meets uh, Dodge, he says uh, Data died more than 20 years ago. It's been 18 years since Nemesis was released. Okay. So, And they said Picard is 90 and Patrick Stewart is 79. Right. So I so we're farther ahead than we would have been since like 1987 when Next Gen started. Okay, and and I do I do appreciate that Picard pretty much set me straight um, right from the get go. Remember, um, I had shared that um, that um, bit on my Instagram about. You know, Harrison Forbes coming back as Indy, Picard's coming back. I mean, um, Patrick Stewart's coming back at Picard. They're both around the same age. And yet there are so many people who are making jokes about an old Indy, but not so much about Picard, to which like you and Steven and a lot of folks said, well, but Indy's like Indy gets beat up and does more than Picard ever did ever or ever will. 
And right from the get-go on Picard, they are acknowledging he is not the man he used to be. I mean, he's right. he gets winded from running too fast, you know, and his the, his age actually does show. They made a, a conscious choice to show that. And I got to say, I I was really – I respected that. Well, and don't forget, when Next Gen started, there was a backlash because they thought he was too old to be captain compared to Kirk. I, rem- I remember at the time, people were like, look at this – bald guy he's got gray hairs like why is he the captain he's only like five years younger than William Shatner is right now and the original idea was that he was just going to sit on the bridge and give orders and Riker was going to do everything but then you know Patrick Stewart was so charismatic and then Riker got fat and bearded and just kind of wanted to hang around so, <laughs> so he hey, did, what's wrong with that <laughs> I didn't say there was anything wrong with that what I'm saying is you're not on the away team that's what I was Uh, I'm not going on any away teams. There is just too much walking involved. Yeah. What what is what does Riker do in first contact? He hangs around a camp, gets drunk with James Cromwell, and watches him build a spaceship. (laughs) That that would be me, right? Meanwhile, Picard is running around punching Borg in the face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's when uh, Patrick Stewart turned into an action hero at that point. Yeah, they went. They went full on action hero with him. The other thing about Patrick Stewart is because he went bald so young, he was like 20 when he went bald. He was way before he was known, is that he looked the same age until about five years ago. I feel like after Days of Future Past, he kind of became an older person. Like his voice is a little raspier and a little weaker. And, you know, he's more wrinkled, but he kind of looked the same for 40 years. Where Harrison yeah. Ford was, Harrison Ford we saw as a young guy, and we always had that young guy picture in our head we have like a a 50 year old patrick stewart in our head yeah although you you could see even patrick stewart today because you'll see he posts videos of himself in la like in the pool hanging out with his pitbull fosters the dude is still ripped i mean the guy keeps himself in shape i'm like holy smack dude you know and as as is harrison ford exactly Uh, uh, have you seen Have you seen Harrison Ford lately? I mean, when he started doing his press for um, Call of the Wild, and I was there going, "Oh, yep, he's getting ready to do indie again because he shaved the beard, he's got the old, you know, indie haircut back." And I'm like, "Damn, just that!" He already looks ten years younger. It's uh, I was, and I did. I I have to say, I had a hundred percent confidence in this new indie movie. Uh, just looking at Blade Runner 2049, looking at Force Awakens, but then right before COVID happened, they announced that Spielberg wasn't going to do it, and that shook my confidence. I'm like, nobody yeah. but Spielberg has done these. Yeah, I mean, see, it, and uh, uh, that's a different podcast, but I will say this. Yeah. We, we've, I know we've discussed this before, um, but you know, you know Disney is going to be doing more indie movies. Um, and, and they are going to recast the role. Yeah, uh, so, I, I, so this would be, a, this would be a way to like transition into other folks doing indie movies. Uh, although I will say this, um, if you want to have uh, for the last, um, Harrison Ford, um, for the first Harrison, for the last Harrison Ford indie and the first non Steven Spielberg indie, um, the perfect, a director for it, and I hate to say it, and considering we were just making fun of him, but um, J.J. Abrams, because he's he's Spielberg light, you know. Yeah, see, I was thinking if you wanted a different director, go James Mangold, because he's still well, like relatively cheap, but he's got like he's got an intensity and ferocity. I mean, 
I, uh, going back to Patrick Stewart, I, I adore Logan. And I did not want to see Ford versus Ferrari until I found out he directed it. And I was like, all right, maybe there's something going on there. Well, I haven't, I haven't seen Ford versus Ferrari. Yes, I really liked Logan, although, um, yeah, I thought it was, yes, it was good. Is it as great as everyone was saying? I, I'm not at, in that boat, just like Joker. When I finally Joker. when I finally saw Joker, I was like, okay, it's I, it had flashes of brilliance, but I don't, but Oscar worthy or whatever. No, no, no. no yeah. I thought it was I thought it was interesting, and you know, um, one of the, another movie that's been pushed up digital release is Birds of Prey, which bombed. Uh, I saw it in the theater and really liked it, and I watched it. So I bought it and watched it again, and it's you know it's definitely trying to do what uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti did in the new Fifty Two run is make her a female Deadpool. But it's it's really entertaining. Uh, I, I think it's better than Joker. The and the one problem they had is they were trying to connect it to her Suicide Squad. So there's a lot of mentions of the Joker. There's no Joker in it, but you can tell they got to a point where they got confused of like, all right, well we don't want Jared Leto and Joaquin Phoenix is really popular as Joker. Is Joaquin Phoenix Joker? Is and they just they just sidestepped that whole thing. Yeah, ma'am. Um, I'll see it eventually. I'm, I'm like, uh, it's fun. Um, it's re- it's really fun. I'll, I will say that for it. I'm happy that you and McGregor is getting so much work right he now. He is. And I've never seen him as a villain. He is great in this. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'd seen him in Dr. Sleep, you know, as Danny Dr. Torrance. Sleep? Oh my God. Um, Dr. Sleep. I'm going to tell you, cause I love the book. The book is, is one of those books that, you know, I mean, like the book made me cry at the end. You know, that's how, how much I, I enjoyed it. Um, and I was I went into the movie really like um, um, trepidatious. Is that a word? Trepidatious? Yes. I went in with trepidation, trepidatious, trepidatious. Uh, because thesaurus for this podcast. Hey, sure. I mean, hey, I, I'm a writer, but I can always use an editor. <laughs> Um, but, uh, um, because previous to this, because like one of my all time favorite Stephen King books is Dreamcatcher. I just love that book. It was like, you know, um, and then since then it's like been from Buick eight and some other books, but so when the movie came out, when I saw who was involved with it, I was like really excited and I was angry i was so angry at how that book and how that movie how they poured it over and how they pretty much got rid of everything that worked about the book and and turned it into a crappy movie and i was really pissed off because there were really there were quite a few talented folks involved with the movie so knowing having that in the back of my head going in to see dr sleep i was like oh man i sure hope they don't dream catcher this and they don't but they do make a um, a significant change uh, to the story, but that's made necessary because, like, for folks who haven't read Doctor Sleep or even read the original Shining, if you read the book of The Shining, uh, Jack Torrance like blows up the Overlook Hotel at the end of the book. Um, and yeah, which is that, not the Kubrick. The Kubrick film is not the book at all. No, not at all. It's like the Kubrick book has like the names of the characters. That's about it. And then 
uh, the Kubrick movie just does that. And I remember when I re- when you read the book, um, it does focus a lot more on Torrance's alcoholism and and the the the, the, um, the relationship between him and Wendy and all these other things. So fine. So you read. Um, so when you pick up Doctor Sleep, they talk about the um, the Overlook a bit, but the Overlook's gone, and there is no Overlook Hotel in Doctor Sleep. They go. the The big climax happens at the site of the Overlook, but the Overlook is gone. Whereas um, Mike Flanagan, who directs Doctor Sleep, wanted to reconcile the two, both uh, the Doctor Sleep book and the Shining movie, and kind of fuse the two together, and said that the Doctor Sleep. adaptation would be a sequel to the shining movie which is smart because because the movie is considered a classic and there's going to be way more people that have seen the movie watching the doctor sleep movie than have read the the shining book and are seeing the doctor sleep movie yeah i know i mean i've seen i've now seen the shining straight through like three times and I can see why people like it, but Kubrick has never worked for me. Kubrick, he is just, he just falls in love with his tracking shots for too long. He, he, he does too much of those static, that, that the static frames. He doesn't, to me, I'm sorry, he doesn't know how to build suspense. Even, even at the end when, um, when Jack Nicholson, when, you know, when Jack is chasing Danny through the, through the hedge maze where it should be all suspenseful. And after a while, it, it felt to me like a family guy bit where it keeps running way longer than it needs to go, you know, or like I, I saw, said, said you know. I saw a great Stanley Kubrick documentary. It was in the box set when they put every, when Warner Brothers put all of his films together. I believe it's called a life in pictures. And the two things they say that are important to know about Kubrick is that he was a photographer and a chess player. So he just takes his time and makes sure it looks right. And I feel like, the guy closest to that that we have now is Wes Anderson, but Wes Anderson's funny. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Although David Fincher, too, though. David Fincher is a very, very, um, you know, he has a reputation for, yes, really needing the things to look a certain way, take his time, do that. But David Fincher's good with, um, he's good with characters. He's good with directing. Yeah. He's good with building well, suspense. Has- Fincher has an aggressive energy too, where his yes. he never loses his pace because he's pushing every one of those movies. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so but you did enjoy so yeah. Doctor Sleep because I I didn't. There is I, I will say this because if you read the book, there is one there is one scene in the Doctor Sleep book that is shockingly. It's it's very it's very upsetting. I mean, it's yeah. Stephen King going to a dark place. It's a really upsetting, upsetting scene. And I'll give Mike Flanagan this. He pulled it off really well. I was wondering how is he going to do this in the movie, and he does not pull any punches. He 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 does it in the book, and I was like, I cannot. I mean, in the movie, I cannot believe that no one talks about it. I cannot believe that no one ever says, "Oh my God, I can't believe they did that." They pull. They did that scene, and you know, and it, it's a, it's a thing. If if you're very sensitive to violence against children, it's going to be a very triggering triggering event. I would not, re- and I would not recommend this for anyone who ever has any fear of their kids being kidnapped. Okay, 
Yeah. So that is like, and I cannot believe that no one ever talks about it because all well, I know no is that, one, yeah, no one talked about the movie. It just came and went and it got good reviews and it, it <laughs> didn't do well. And Hugh McGregor is in this weird place where he's so good and he's getting better and better and better. And if I feel like the last few things he have done, he's done have just disappeared because there's Dr. Sleep and then there was Birds of Prey where he's black mask and he's, he's amazing in it. And now this Obi-Wan movie is, is, you know, they stripped it down because they didn't like the scripts. And now with COVID, nobody's shooting anything. Mm-hmm. So who knows well, when Obi-Wan is going to even happen? Well, it's all timing, if you ask me. I mean, with, with Dr. Sleep, they waited two weeks too long to release it. I can't believe they released it after Halloween. Mm-hmm. That's a Halloween movie. You released it two weeks before Halloween. Then people are in that mood. Boom. Yep. Well, the big horror Birds movies are – big horror movies are September so they can build. That's what. Yes. That's what it did. Yeah. Except and then, the second um, one, they decided to make a summer blockbuster, and it's not as good as the first one. Did it do well? I can't I don't remember. It did well, but it wasn't like – it didn't capture the zeitgeist. But to be fair with that book, the second – the ending of that book is terrible, and they yeah. kind of fixed it, but it's yeah, never okay. going to be as good. I mean it's hard to do horror sequels. Once you make – once you make the villain bigger and bigger so he can top himself, it you lose mm. the reality of it. You lose the fear. Hmm. And it becomes, and that's what happens with it. Chapter two is it, it becomes a, it becomes a big special effects blockbuster, because there's like, there's like a twenty foot Pennywise chasing them around made out of CG, and I'm like, how is this not a Marvel movie? Right, right. Well, speaking of uh, special effects climaxes, how about that last episode of Picard? Yes, because <laughs> once again, yeah, just. True to form, we've talked about seven other things. <laughs> um, yeah, I love getting back to where we were. Uh, I can understand people that love Next Generation hating this because of because of tone. It is not it is not the tone of Next Gen at all. And the feeling you get from Next Gen, and I've been watching a shitload of Next Gen since Picard came back. Uh, you do not get that feeling from Picard, but I. But you know, I'm a big Deep Space Nine guy, so I like it when Star Trek pushes a little darker. And the thing about um, the thing about the tone of it of like, oh, humanity's not perfect, and and the Federation isn't amazing like it used to be. And I'm like, yeah, is America <laughs> like where yeah. was? You're talking about America from 1987 to now. Is it the same in any way? Why would Starfleet? And I also thought the the undercurrent theme of the whole show, which I completely locked onto, was like, if you want a utopia, you have to fight for it. And Picard was the only person willing to fight to keep Utopia. Everybody else wanted to protect themselves. And then you had these – so then you had the, all of the all of the new characters are broken, which I've never seen in Star Trek. Like even Discovery. Like eventually with Discovery, they had to get to a point where the characters were so broken. It's like they're from the Mirror Universe. Uh, and I like Discovery. I think season two was a huge improvement over season one. But I wouldn't have seen season two if I wasn't paying for Picard. Yeah. yeah, but I love the uh, fact that like it, it's clear in the first episode the Federation lost sight of its goals. They they cared more about protecting themselves from the Romulans. It was the first episode I've ever heard them word, use the word resources. The Federation they made a big deal of like oh we don't have any money in the Federation we just build things that we need to build you know so we can use all of Mars to build ships for free and the fact that like the Federation was like. Yeah, so the data's blew up all the ships, so we can't afford to save the Romulans. And I was like, I'd never heard the words can't afford. 
Yeah, you know, it makes you think because uh, a lot of times people <clears throat> you hear this debate all the time when you have transporter technology, which and and of course replicator technology. How how do you define worth? How do you define value when you can have anything and everything that you want and it doesn't cost you that much? So, yeah, that that, that that's true. You sit there and you go, wait a minute. Um, uh, well, I mean, because we've always we always think of uh, Starfleet in the future as kind of a socialist state where right. everyone has all their needs met. You know, everything is cared for, but you still have. Um, well, I guess that's more like democratic socialism. Although, do they really vote in Starfleet? Someone help me out here, okay? Because I, I, as for as long as I've watched Star Trek, I've always been more of a Star Trek TV guy in the movies. I didn't delve too much into the books or the RPGs and stuff like that. But I mean, is you have the United Federation of Planets, which is the gov- is like I have always said is like the UN of 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 the Gal- the Star Trek universe, and then you have Starfleet, which I'm is kind of like the Navy or the military slash scientific wing of the Fed, the Federation, right? right. So who how how does government and democracy work? You know, is it is it, you know, I mean, they always refer to Starfleet, this Starfleet, that is it a military state that rules the universe? (laughs) I don't think so. I think I think the fact that every show has focused on Starfleet means that we're looking through this military lens. But we've seen we have seen different presidents of the Federation and they've been different people of different races. So I think there is a democracy in place across the Federation. But if you're joining Starfleet, you answer to your captain. So I don't think I don't think you say you own a comic book store on Earth in the 24th century, and God love you for trying to do that. <laughs> but I don't think uh, I don't think like a lieutenant commander comes in and just and just uh, takes possession of all your stuff. Like you know that's a fascist military state. I think there is a democracy in place of the leaders of planets, but Starfleet is what explores and, right. I, and what happens it also is, fights fights the wars though i mean it's always star- it has to, well it opens negotiations with other planets and if those turn violent it defends itself but yeah but they're constantly carrying around federation ambassadors and those aren't military those are like okay we've opened negotiations with yeah. this with bajor hey here's an ambassador that's going to carry you into the federation and tell you about how the democracy part of it works that part's not that interesting because nobody shoots anybody. So so they've never made a show. Yeah, they, I will say this. Since Discovery and, and Picard, they – well, DS9 um, DS nine did it a bit. They, they are a lot – there's a lot of conflict going on <laughs> in Star Trek, you know, like shooty, shooty, blow it uppy, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just less than Star Wars, so it gets this reputation as a thoughtful show. Right, But, you know, when you go back to the original series, and um, I was talking to Steven about this, and Steven is not on today's episode. We technologically figured out how to get him in, but uh, he's watching Picard now, and he is not a Star Trek guy. So it's going to be interesting to see what he thinks of Picard, because uh, he's never really gotten into any of the shows. But because it's – like, people always talk about 
oh, Star Star Trek is a reflection of our time, and Star Trek is is a deep philosophy into where we are now. And then you watch the original series, and everyone is screaming, but Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> well, it was the sixties. People, people were screaming were, in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah, it was on. It was on at the same week as Batman. Right. <laughs> and people were a lot going on. Yeah, but you know, Walter Koenig's job was basically to grab his temple, scream, and fall on the floor. But he was a Russian who was doing it. Remember, it was a Cold War. Yes, that's so you were quality. Expecting. He always got yeah. the virus. Oh, and, and I <laughs> tweeted this this week. Uh, I've been watching because of Picard. I've been watching tons of Star Trek, but I also find it very soothing because I because I'm like I'll just put on Next Generation while all of this craziness is going on because you know what? It's it's warmly lit. It's pastel colors. Everyone treats each other with respect. They find out there's a problem. They have a productive meeting that could not be an email. <laughs> they figure out something, and and they get it done without fighting with each other, and they're wearing their pajamas the entire time. And then I started watching it, and I'm like, really? Every third episode, they get an alien virus. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And, 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 and come on. All lizards, and now we think we're in the 18th century because of this <laughs> alien virus. Well, it's essentially, you know, yeah, everyone gets a virus, and you're all quarantined together. So, of course, things are going to get nutty. Yeah, that was that was the terror of being on the Joko cruise this year. Oh God! Um, wait, uh, before I lose my train of thought. So yeah, but the whole the, you know the show of Picard being a reflection. I mean, I I always here's my thing too. Like with Discovery, when I learned that Brian Fuller was going to be the showrunner, I had a lot of hope for it. Then of course things fell apart, and you know he he. He exited after a bit, but you could still that kind feel of that, that, that's kind of the Brian Fuller mantra. Yeah, that's it's a shame because he's really good. He is um, really good, but his career his career was littered with uh, with early cancellations and him walking off of projects unless he owns yeah. it. You know, he, uh, the same thing happened with American Gods, and American Gods fell apart. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so then you have, um, but then you really felt like his. I could feel where his hand was involved in season one of discovery season two felt different, but that's because a different show showrunner you have now what, what really got me jazzed about Picard was you had Michael Shabon as the showrunner and he's one of the showrunners hand on it. Definitely. And whenever I would see, I would get like a little bit of a thrill when the opening credits would end with, you know, screenplay, you know, written by Michael Shalon. Because you're like, whenever it was one of his episodes, there was always this great character moment, this one little bit of insight that you would get. And you could tell that was him. That was him bringing that to the fore. So when you get to the very last episode, he writes it with Akiva Goldsman. Yeah, and, and I hated Akiva Goldsman forever. I think I've finally forgiven him. Because yeah, well, Akiva Goldsman wrote Batman and Robin and Lost in Space. Well, yes, and you know, here's the thing: Batman and Robin. I mean, well, he also was a co-writer on Batman Forever, which I actually enjoyed. And and it's then, not. It's not anywhere as good as the Burton ones, though. True. Like, true. You can see the rot starting to set in in that film. Yeah. And then Batman and Robin got a little too nutty. Um, um, Lost in Space felt like two Lost in Space episodes crammed into one. Uh, the first half of the Lost in Space movie is actually decent. I liked it. And then that second half was like, bleh. So that was, again, Goldsman doing his bit. 
Yeah, that so, was an era. Of, that was an era of the late '90s where Gary Oldman just made crazy choices in sci-fi movies. Dude's got to eat. And Gary yeah, Oldman got to like eat. That and like the Fifth <laughs> Element, where he's wearing like half a plexiglass on his head. Uh. <laughs> it was not until Batman Begins where I was like, "Oh, okay, settle down." Realizes he's a good actor again. Yeah, right. Um, but and so you watch the season, the the season finale of Picard, and they're going, "Okay." I, I, I would point at scenes and go, okay, Shaban, 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 Goldsman, Goldsman, Goldsman. In fact, that entire climax at the end, the big fight, you know, with between the, the, the synths, Starfleet, and the Romulans that had Goldman all over it. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I was hoping. The, it had a light in the sky. I was like, I thought we were done with lights in the sky. <laughs> Pretty much. Suicide Squad was the light in the sky genuine, wasn't it? <laughs> Wait, uh, yeah yes yeah uh-huh right yeah that's right but i was stupid <laughs> but then you get the shabon like data farewell and Wait, oh yes because it, it, i don't get it okay again spoilers folks if you haven't seen the last episode yet this is a huge spoiler yeah but which is why Picard, Post is not on well. that's how big a spoiler right. is. yeah picard dies at the end of the episode, he dies. And I'm sitting there watching this. I'm going, wait a minute. He went out of the view and asked Whoopi Goldberg to be on season two. What's going on here? So I knew it wasn't going to take. I knew he didn't. He wasn't really going to die. So I'm there going, can we just skip over this emotional? Everyone's crying over Jean-Luc dying and we're all crying. And Allison Pills doing another bit with her bottom lip quivering because she's crying. And, and, and just go to the part that we know is going to happen because it just seemed overplayed to me. Yeah, and I watched the making of The Ready Room the Will Wheaton after show and Michael Chabon said it was always part of the series, but I, I do kind of wonder they weren't planning this as a multi-season until they got into one and they were like, all right, let, let's do another one. And now it's, it's basically CBS's Mandalorian. Like it's, it's a much bigger hit than discovery. And like Netflix, they're not telling us numbers, but just seeing the impact it's had in geek culture and on social media, like, I I think it's pr- it's a big big hit for them, and I think I I gotta wonder if they rewrote that, if they were like, but I, I do give them respect for doing it in the final episode, and not making, and not making us wait until and making the first episode of season two being about oh yeah right we we brought him back as a synth. Yeah, to least, me that would have made more sense. <laughs> yeah, at least they didn't make it hang. Well, when they show that golem in the. In the episode before, I'm like, oh, they're going to bring Bruce Maddox back. And then for That's one – Yes, I thought the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and for one and for one second – and honestly, when he died, I just went, oh. And you're right. It was that – at the same moment in Infinity War where I got – when everybody gets dusted, I got really choked up until Black Panther died. I was like, wait. And then yes. when Spider-Man died, I'm like – Look, you can't control Sony's marketing, and they already said there's another Spider-Man movie. Yep. And then my yep. brain, my brain switched from the emotional response they wanted me to have to the intellectual response of, well, how do they get out of this? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. But I did love that. I did love that scene of between Picard and Data. They're in like basically like a downloading section of the servers together. 
So that that was the thing that um, got me. Uh, I have some friends online. They were like, they didn't understand that scene. Um, mind you, uh, I, I had I had just finished The Good Place not that long ago. Oh God damn it! So, that show so good. Well, was it? And then that that sees that series finale, that last episode was. That's what I thought about during mm. that scene between um, Picard and Data. I was thinking about that scene from The Good Place where, you know, it's like the whole, hey, you know, life is a wonderful thing and you appreciate it and you want and you live it. But what makes it what makes it valuable, what makes it precious is that it's finite. And, you know, I, I need and I want to I'm Data says I would like my life to end now. He wants it to all end. And you're like, wow. And and, and, yeah. There's a clip going around social media now, and I forget what episode it's from, where he says that to Jordy, and it's in the middle of the next generation scene where they're talking about aging and dying, and he's like, he's like, no, I, at some point my body will break down and it won't be able to be rebooted, and I'm I'm proud of that, and yeah. it pays that. There's so many little things, which again, is, uh, my wife really enjoyed Picard, and she hates Next Generation, and I've been showing her episodes that tied in and i'm like well here's the offspring and here's measure of a man and uh here's here's first contact again and here all the here's i borg here are all the episodes that directly relate to picard and then i said does that help you watch picard she said yes and i was like does it help you like next generation she said no Well, but there's all these nice little moments that pay off things. I love how this saved Nemesis because Nemesis is terrible, and they took the worst parts of Nemesis and made them poignant. That uh, I know that was something that uh, Patrick Stewart himself really wanted to do. I mean, there were he I've I've read an interview somewhere where he said that very thing, that there were certain things they wanted to do in Nemesis that for one reason or another, they couldn't get that payoff. And being able to go back to that in um, in uh, the series, you know, that was all intentional as far as he went. And he really wanted to uh, address that um, that data thing more because I, correct me if I'm wrong you know outside of the movies and that interaction that he had with him like let's say in in um, generations and then later on in in nemesis or whatever it's not like Picard and data had that close of a relationship it was always data and Jordy right so, so and Picard to, was to ha- always Picard was always kind of standoffish and right. that's one of the moments in at the end of all good things is he comes and joins the poker table which he had never done and it's in the and it's in the movies first of all data was the most popular character so data became the second most popular character and the second most important character in all the movies where Riker clearly took a back seat and Jonathan Frakes was fine with that because he wanted to direct the movies and he ended up doing two of them but those movies became Picard and data because, and especially because they were action-oriented, Worf got more of a role, but Worf was still on a television show, so he didn't get as much screen time. And Data became more and more important as that as that went on. First Contact is a lot of Picard and Data because part of the Borg's plan is to turn Data human. And then that final fight scene is Picard, Data, and the Borg Queen. Right. So that, there's a big bonding moment. And then Nemesis, which just c- felt kind of... Um, I hated that 
outdated death scene in Nemesis. It was so crazy, stupidly plot driven, and it and they at the very last scene made me hate the whole movie. It's not a good movie all the way through. If you want to see Bane be Picard's clone in some weird way, uh, <laughs> and I always forget that that's Tom Hardy. Like, wow. That was the first thing I ever saw Tom Hardy in. And when they announced that Tom Hardy was going to be Bane, I kind of had the same reaction I had when they announced Robert Pattinson was going to be Batman. I was like, well, I'm sure he's made other movies that are good. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the, the yeah. final scene, the final scene of Nemesis clearly shows that before will become data. And uh, they've, they've, um, totally retcon nemesis to be like oh it was the finale of next generation but they were planning on a fifth movie until nemesis bombed that was not supposed to be the end of next generation so it was very clear that next generation movie five before would have been data and they would have just kept going in the same way that this show picard is data and he's just going to keep going like he asks every question that the fans were going to ask like will i age like do i have superpowers you know, and they're like, no, you're just still Picard. Right. Uh, but the, but I loved – I was talking about this uh, when the first episode aired. When I really fell in love with Picard is when Picard goes to Gerardi, to Allison Pill, and says, uh, but what about before? Before? That guy's a piece of shit. You want to see the box we keep him in? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and they're just like, we will not be talking about before. Well, I like that they, they addressed that really quickly because, you know, that would have been hanging in everybody's head, you know. Well, and, but they never, yeah. they, they, they never really addressed lore. And that was a thing like there were a lot of fan – there were a lot of fan theories that were like, well, lore is behind this and lore is coming back. And, oh, uh, Brent Spiner plays Dr. Sung's son. He's gonna, really going to be lore. But it's – lore is just kind of forgotten. Like, and Lore sure. was clearly the tw- the twin of Data because they established that there are twins. But then you have B4. Right. There's a third one. Right, right. Well, no, it, I thought B4 was the prototype. Yeah. Data but, came, data but if came later. Yeah. But if they're all twins, shouldn't there be another B4 prototype out there? There, there could be, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, a, yeah. Well, I saw Brent they, There's an interview with Brent Spiner, which I love, where they were like – he said, this is really it for data. And they were like, well, wasn't Nemesis really it for data? He goes, no, this is really it. We shot me at every angle where that makeup would still work. <laughs> well, I, and, and I know it's like for him, it's like he I know it's it all revolves around him tired of doing that character and just not, you know, just like I want to be done with it all already. Right. But he also was the only character not allowed to age. I mean, there was such a. Not since Wrath of Khan has I have I seen such a clear look at aging characters in Star Trek, and yeah. one, that's one of the things I like about love about Wrath of Khan, and one of the things I don't like about the later sequels is that they made movies for another ten years and then acted like they were thirty. Right, right, right. But Data, like I remember in Insurrection, um, I was working at the toy company that had the Star Trek license at the time, Art Asylum. And we all went to insurrection one night, and we were we all kind of looked at each other like, I don't think Spiner's pulling it off anymore, you know, because he was a middle aged man, he wasn't a young guy anymore. Yeah. So and his face was a different shape in Picard, where like he looked good, but like 
His face looked wider just from age. Well, all our, well, I know my face is looking wider lately. <laughs> <laughs> my face is just looking exhausted. <laughs> um, which wouldn't you say that would be kind? I mean, unless they come up with a clever way of writing it, wouldn't you think that would be the same kind of issue they could run into with bringing back Q? You know, because John Delancey has aged and, you know, do omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent beings age. Uh, If he wants to. I mean, you know, in all good things, he appears as a really old cue to make fun of really old Picard. You could you could do that in a line. John Delancey is still a great actor. Uh, He's always working. I mean, this is now 10 years ago. But if you haven't seen all of Breaking Bad, John Delancey shows up for a few episodes and he's amazing. Yes, he's the um, the air traffic controller whose daughter is dating Jessica Pinkman. Yeah, and I I, I remember whose daughter is Jessica Jones. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, I forgot her name. Um, uh, Kristen. I had it until you, Kristen Ritter. Sorry, Ritter. Correct. Because I, I remember she was related to John Ritter, and she isn't. Right. Yes. Yes. Because I know. Um, I met John Delancey at San Diego Comic Con. He was at a booth just signing autographs, and I wanted to be the one guy who talked to him about anything other than Star Trek. And I said, look, I just wanted to tell you, you were so good in Breaking Bad. I got to tell you, that performance just really was something. And he looked at me like he could care less what I thought about oh, <laughs> his performance. <wow. laughs> it's like, yeah, right, whatever, kid. That like, but, really but, works, that's probably yeah. the second thing here. <laughs> So, wow. but yeah, I mean, I could very easily see John Delancey showing up and going like, well, I didn't want you to feel left out. So I look old, too. Uh, I'd be OK with that. I think the problem is that Q in Star Trek is the Joker where he's malevolent and he schemes and he causes major problems, but he's light and he's funny. Picard was Picard's heavy and it's dark. I mean, it's got sarcastic humor, but I don't see how a character like Q fits. I can see Guinan, as you said, um, Patrick Stewart asked Kathy Goldberg to be in season two. She can she could take that character and turn her series when she needs to. Um, but I don't I don't know how like a jokey Q character shows up. If if they figure out a way, Michael Chabon's gonna be involved in season two, but he's doing a Cavalier and Clay television series. So he's not gonna be showrunner. Oh, Nah, boy. Well, yeah, I know, but it's, uh, I think uh, the, rest uh, of the, the rest of the team uh, is still in place, and he's a producer, and he said, I broke season two with everyone. Oh, so I, I have a, a good feeling about season two. I mean, I'm not going to – I don't want to diss season two already. A buddy of mine is a, is a script supervisor on it now, so I'm not oh. going to – you know. So I'm like, uh, I'm sure it'll be great. Um, I do – I did come up – it was back when um, – I was pitching Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Next Gen to an, uh, a manga company that had the the Star Trek license. It was for manga. And I pitched a couple of story ideas and I have I have a Q story in my pocket that um, if it ever came down to it, I was thinking about maybe pitching it to IDW um, and see. Well, but, there, um, IDW has that kind of holistic approach to star trek now where they're they're publishing every era yeah like for a while they focused on like the chris pine movies but i mean the whole now with cbs taking over the whole license is is that now of like discovery takes place discovery looks like the jj abrams movies and uh other than the fact that zachary kinto and Bruce green would have been recast 
they pretty much are. Um, but then Picard is a direct sequel to Next Gen. And there were a lot of questions when it came out. It was like, well, how does this tie into Discovery? And what timeline is this in? And within that first episode, it's like, no, this is Next Gen. This is – it's clearly – it doesn't reboot Next Gen at all. And I love the episode with Riker and Troy that they oh, were given this yes. – such a rich backstory. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, we we moved here. It was like they had this whole story that would that I'm sure will be novels because it's so compelling and you never see it. It's just intimated. The the I loved that scene so much because, you know, again, if you love Next Gen, I mean, I'm I'm a Riker stan. OK, that's me. Yeah. I'm, I love Riker. Riker was, you know, I wanted to grow up and be Riker. Um, but uh, there's that bit. kind of did. <laughs> well, thank you. Let me I ask you out. this. I, I said, we've been friends for a long time, but I've I've never seen you throw your leg over a chair. I, I can't like I used to. I used to be I used to do that kind of like as my homage, you yeah. know, but but now those that, that those tendons tighten up a bit. You can't, you know, you don't clear that spec seat anymore. <laughs> I do. Like, I do lean into things, though. I do still <laughs> yes. lean. Um, well, we were what? There's a meme. I think didn't you post this meme yesterday of them like of. Riker teaching Jordy how to lean in the transporter room to be a commander. If you want yes. to be in command, you got to know how to lean. And, and that's I, one of the one of the keys to being in command. You have to be a leaner. <laughs> and I think what hit me is I think he created all those moves because he was so much taller than everyone. Yep. yep. And he was usually talking to somebody who was sitting down. Mm-hmm. So so there's all these like leg movements and leans. My favorite record maneuver, which I learned um, with Next Gen told this story a lot, but I hated season one like you're supposed to, and I did not come back until Spock showed up and Scotty showed up, and uh, then I realized it was a great show, and there was a local channel, it was like a Long Island station called TV55 that showed next, they showed Star Trek, and when they would run into Star Trek, they would show Next Gen. So, uh, my college girlfriend and I would watch it every single night, and that's how I caught up. And the one record maneuver I always noticed is that whenever he would talk to Data, he'd throw his leg up on the console and just kind of place his crotch in Data's face. (laughs) (laughs) And Data's a robot, so he wouldn't react. Where, you know, if it was Wesley. (laughs) Wesley, get a load of these command units. (laughs) Take a look at these pips. (laughs) I was about to say that. Sorry, beat you to it. Yeah, no. Well, we think alike. Um, well, you know, we're at, of course, like we always do, it took us a half an hour to talk about Picard. But uh, <laughs> winding down of the short, one of the other things I wanted to mention was um, for a quote unquote reboot, and it's a sequel more than a reboot, there's a lot of new characters. And I realized I was interested and I liked these characters as much as I liked any Star Trek characters. With Discovery, at the end of season one, I was like, well, who did I like? And I will say that watching season two, um, I know who I like now. They did a much better job with those characters. But I was surprised who I really like. And in that way, it reminded me of Ash versus Evil Dead, where it was the same kind of thing where we're returning to this character after 20 years, and we've got to create all these new younger characters around that person. And, oh, you know what? They're all interesting, and I like them. Uh, that you're right. No, you're right. And to me, that that's the key there. That 
they gave me characters not only that I liked that I cared about. So and and they introduced enough subplots, you know, for each each yeah, of them. Where you of, say, there's a lot of plots Picard's not involved in, and I realized, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just as invested. I'm not waiting for Patrick Stewart to come back. Right, right. Um, so no, you're right. I know with with Discovery, I will say this: it took it took me half the first season for me to warm up to Tilly, and now I love her. I, I oh, love I her like character. Tilly, right? yeah. Tilly had the most character in season one. I felt like I felt like I liked Michael just because I liked her on Walking Dead, and I'm like, oh, I like this actress. And then yeah. Tilly, I was like, we're trying to do something. Season two, and actually the short tracks, I. Love Saru. See, I have not watched any short treks. I need to do that now. I mean, I I am paying for CBS, so I might as well watch them. That's what I did. I was like, let me watch everything while, because I don't know how long I'll keep it. You know, I may, I may not be here when Discovery season three comes back. I might wait for Picard season two and catch up again. But Mm -hmm. there were three short treks that are amazing. They're all good. There's, there's a Tilly one that's good, but there is a uh, a Harry Mudd one with um, oh god, with Dwight from The Office, and I'm blanking. Uh, it was Rain Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson, which is great. There is a there is an episode with H. John Benjamin where he plays the dumbest guy in Starfleet, which is <laughs> okay. And I will give no spoilers other than that, but it it has a major continuity tie. Oh okay um, okay. It's called The Trouble with Edward. Uh, it's really, really great. There yeah. is, I feel like there's more as I'm saying them. There's also a prelude to Picard, which is beautiful. Okay. Uh, which is just about two characters uh, who do not appear in the series, but tonally and plot wise it ties in, but they're all pretty good. There's a nice, there's a nice animated one. There's a couple on the enterprise with uh Pike and number one. Okay. And I really like Rebecca Romaine as number one. Oh yeah. Yeah. She is like, I, I feel like I, Rebecca Romaine was in the 90s, for millennials who don't remember, she was the it girl for a while when she was married to John Stamos. And then mm-hmm. she was the original Mystique. Mm-hmm. And her body was perfect. But there's something about middle-aged Rebecca Romaine. I think there's – she's like approachable now. She's got a great aesthetic about her that – and it, it, it fits perfectly when, you're, when you've got – especially with Trek uh, doing the retro future style. You know, yeah, and she's, wearing, she's doing. wearing like Major Barrett's wig in this, but yeah. she's got like she's there's something she's got experience. There's a depth to her character. There's things she's yeah. not saying. She's she's clearly not the typical ex supermodel. She's managed she's managed to figure out how to be a middle aged actress. Right. And there's an episode with her, just her and Spock. Ooh, gotta watch that. Okay, it's really good. And I like the guy who plays Spock. It pissed me off. And both Pike. And Spock pissed me off because I was like, I don't know where this thing fits. Is it a Kelvin timeline? Is it classic? Why didn't you get Bruce Greenwood and Zachary Kinto? They would do TV and then just tell me it's part of the J.J. Abrams universe. But then within a couple episodes, I'm like, no, I like these actors. And I realized Star Trek has gotten to the point where it's like superheroes of James Bond. You know, now these characters are icons and prototypes, and we're going to get another guy in to play them, and you're just going to accept it on. Just like uh, it's going to happen with Indiana Jones. Damn it. Now the podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> well, we are in time, though. Um, 
Hey, uh, the last question I want to ask you before uh, tell people how to find you. As I said, Stephen has not watched a lot of Star Trek, and I know the list in my head that I am going to give him for Picard. But for people like Stephen who said, hey, I just started watching Picard and I love it. It's the new thing, but I I want to know more about the character. What episodes would you tell people to watch? Ooh. See, here's my problem. I know the episodes. I don't always necessarily remember the names of said episodes. Of course, best of both worlds, right? right. Essential. Um, mo- essential. On every, on every level, for continuity, for execution, for what it does to the character. <laughs> Which was the episode where um, was it the episode where Picard's has been like has some sort of like psychic hook from some space probe that's going to kill him. And he's like reliving his life. And Q is walking him through all the decisions that he made in life. Oh, tapestry. Tap that one. That is that's a great episode. That is probably my all-time favorite Picard episode. Not, you know, not so much for what it did for the character, but for how it made me reflect on my own life. And I think when a, when an episode of Star Trek does that for you, boom, that that's there. That's a Ron um, episode too. Yes, and it's a really good episode. Battlestar Galactica. Oh, there is an Easter egg in Picard of that episode. Oh, is, is there? Yeah, the girl classmate uh, in Tapestry. Yeah. Um, turns out to be one of Rio's commanding officers. They have oh. a conversation, and he says, "He says Marta," and I was like, "Hey, was that?" And Screen Crush has done the, a great YouTube series showing all the Easter eggs. Yeah, Easter eggs. They're like, That's- "Yep, that was her name." So, like, when he got out of the academy, she was she was his commanding officer. And then, uh, of course, Chain of Command. Um, oh, there are four is- lights. Yeah, that one's a really good episode. Um, uh, if you want to get an idea of what, you know, of course, the, the Leonard Nimoy episode, Unification. That's a good one. Um, That's what got uh, the answer next gen. Yeah. Because it was uh, as much as they talked about the themes and the, and the timing, they made that to promote Star Trek VI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's no, they how did. they got me. I was waiting for Star Trek VI, which is a good movie. And I was like, all right, Leonard Nimoy is going to be on it. I just want to see what the tie-in of the movie will be. And that's when I said, oh, this show got really good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, th- th- those are the ones that pop to mind right now. I would yeah, say for- as far as, as, far as uh, to relate to um, – to, um, to, um, the series, though, if you're going to sit if, – if anyone wants to complain about how sometimes kind of goofy this this uh, Picard got, watch any Next Gen episode where they're on the holodeck and then oh. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a big problem with holodeck episodes. Um, yeah. Even Deep Space Nine, which I love. And towards the end of the season, which it got amazing, there was just this feeling of like, let's let's create a Rat Pack lounge singer in the holodeck that everyone will hang out with. And I was like, really? Do the Ferengi care about like a, a third rate Frank Sinatra? <laughs> well, you got to keep those uh, you got to keep those humans happy. Otherwise, they get, you know, real yeah. pissy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would uh, I would add to that. The list I'm compiling for Steven now is uh, Iborg, which. 
um, introduces the, Hugh. Hugh, that's a, a yeah. character in in the first uh, season of Picard. Um, the older I get and the more I watch it, the more Star Trek First Contact becomes one of my favorite movies ever. And I can't even explain it, but I'm starting to like it more than Wrath of Khan. You just take out the scenes where they're like in their spacesuits and, you know, trying to fix that satellite thing. I love thing. that scene. I lo- I, it's, it was, it's got that weird slow I know. terror. So I, clunky. It's so it's so Kubricky. <laughs> and that's when uh, Dum Dum Dugan turns into a Borg on him. Yes. I think that was Frake saying, no, we're going to do our 2001 A Space Odyssey homage here. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's uh, one of the things I like about First Contact is there's there's so many obvious continuity nods and build up to set pieces. And I buy every one of them. Yeah, like, it's it's still a good movie. I, I, I'm I'm joking about it, but it is still a very good movie. It, also, it I feel like there's if you want to talk about Picard and the board, that's now a trilogy is the best of both worlds. You can watch Q who just to see where the board come from. But right. best of both worlds, um, first contact and then Picard, because there are episodes that are my favorite episodes, like all good things is in one of the best finales to any series ever yep. but, uh, or Darmok is uh is an incredibly brilliant episode but they don't help inform picard so they wouldn't be on my list measure of a man has got to be on there though yeah that's one what who who had spoken about that saying why doesn't that one make more lists more top 10 lists measure of a man it's in second season and they're in the tights and people tend to dismiss both of those seasons although going back watch i've been watching them at random season two is much better than i remember season two Season one is just as bad. Wait, uh, which uh, Wesley in Starfleet, and and he's involved in that whole thing about the 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 ship maneuvers that they were doing. Oh, that's like five. That's way in. Yeah. What episode is that one? Oh my oh. god. Um, the first duty is the name of that one. Is it that yeah. if you want to talk about one that speaks to Picard, that yeah. is a really good one, too. And, and it's all courtroom drama, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the inner light as well. It's just a beautifully acted inner light by Picard, whether or not it it informs um, Picard. I think there's like an Easter egg here or there about his flute playing. But yeah, there's some great episodes. Uh, Picard is also teaching me how much of a Trekkie I didn't think I was. Because I I can answer all of these questions. <laughs> wow! Why geez. did I know it was the first duty? I just did. It's like uh, Star Trek is kind of halfway down my geek list. It's like a little over Doctor Who and a little under Star Wars, and I can just I just know it. I knew I used to know the original series and not Next Gen, and man, now I know Next Gen, and I'm binge watching Deep Space Nine again because none of us can ever leave the house. Yeah, I want to binge space deep space nine, but uh, my history with uh, Avery Brooks just I can't I can't look he's at him. Weird. He's weird. <laughs> yes, he's really weird. Yep. <laughs> you have a, you have a with Avery Brooks. Brooks. I'm sorry. You have an encounter with Avery Brooks. Oh yeah. And you tell that encounter? I've told it before. I don't know if I should tell it again. <laughs> and you have not told it to me, which is even worse. 
Okay, well, I'll tell you next time. All right, but he is weird. Have you seen The Captains, the documentary? Yes. Yep. They're like, Avery Brooks refuses to talk to William Shatner. He just starts playing jazz piano and sings to him. Because the then, dude was high off his rocker. But yeah, yeah, I can see that. And like Shatner has to sing back and Shatner, Shatner cannot improv. You know, when Shatner comes across as the more grounded person in the scene. <laughs> My favorite Shatner story. I don't know if you were there and I know I've told it before, but it was a wizard world. Um, God, Caffeinated Comics was on a panel, so he got to go for free. I think it was like five or six years ago. But they had the entire Next Generation cast and William Shatner was moderating. And at one and it was very clear that the next generation cast is so tight. In fact, there were pictures on the set that Michael Dorn and uh, LeVar Burton showed up to the Riker and Troy episode. And they had a picture of all of them. Taken. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Just without Brent Spiner or Gates McFadden, but they were all together and they all turned on Shatner. And at one point <laughs> Shatner is starting to talk to LeVar Burton about how Jordy was unsuccessful with women. And LeVar is just listening for a minute and turns to the audience and goes, should I hit him? And the audience, (laughs) (laughs) pause. Well, I think the reason why uh, why, uh, 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 Shatner moderates all his own panels is because of the time I moderated his panel. So I'll leave it at that. God damn it. Now you've created a whole episode of weird encounters with you and Captain. <laughs> well, we'll do that for a special future episode. If you don't, I will tell the story of awkward panel instances with you and companions. <laughs> that one's another one. Yeah. Uh, we uh-huh. actually, you actually told that story on the show right after it happened. <laughs> yeah. 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 I want right. to I wanna let that sleeping dog Keep sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, how do we find you online? Well, I mean, everyone's online because you can't see anybody in public. So by all means, feel free. uh, Look for me at my new Facebook page, King of Geeks Chicago. King of Geeks Chicago. Uh, that's where I just talk about exclusively the geek stuff. If you want to talk to me on my own personal Facebook page, you're welcome to Elliot, uh, facebook.com slash Elliot Serrano. But mind you, you're going to get me ranting about the political um, uh, uh, state of the union. So if you don't want to deal with any of that, don't find me there. Go to King of Geek. You can find me on Instagram, also uh, Elliot Serrano on Instagram, and I am on Twitter, but I'll be honest, Twitter is a dumpster fire, so I'll pop in every once in a while to see if the garbage isn't burning so much. If it's just smoldering, I might uh, say a few things, but then I duck out, so really Facebook and Instagram are the places to go. And you can follow me at Not On My Book on Instagram and Twitter. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social networking feed. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Caffeinated Comics, for all the news that might actually happen. And to keep in touch with the show, we're not going to miss an episode while we continue. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, on Spotify, or on iTunes, or on Apple Podcasts, depending on how you've updated your Apple OS. And you can go directly to Radio Misfits. We are proud members of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Just go to radiomisfits.com and there we are in the Lifestyle tab. We will talk to you next week.